Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. The Army War College teaches future strategic leaders how to think strategically. That apparent tautology reflects the complexity of our task. Our students will take up staff and leadership positions at the highest level and thus need to develop the skills and knowledge necessary to develop and carry out strategic plans. That also means we are always looking for new ways to cultivate those skills, a project that itself involves collaboration between students and faculty. Our guests today are three students in the class of 2023 at the Army War College, participants in the Carlisle Scholars Program, which encourages its members to pursue specialized and client-based research. These students are completing development of a new strategy game to help students practice the give and take required to build, develop, and carry out strategic plans. At A Better Peace, we are always eager to showcase the work of our students and faculty, so we are very pleased to welcome them to this conversation. And they are Lieutenant Colonel Giovanni Corrado, Ian Hopper, and Colonel Kent W. Park. Lieutenant Colonel Giovanni Corrado is an Italian Army Airborne Officer who started his military career in 1997 at the Italian Military Academy. He has served in a variety of command and staff positions and has attended the Italian Army Staff College, as well as the Command and General Staff College and School of Advanced Military Studies in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, before coming to the War College. In the last year before attending the U.S. Army War College, he was a section head at the Italian Army G2. Mr. Ian Hopper is a Foreign Service Officer with the U.S. Department of State. Most recently, he was the Director of the Office of Iraq Affairs. Ian served in Baghdad from 2019 to 2020 as Consul General, and he previously served as the State Department's Supervisory Regional Consular Officer based in Frankfurt, Germany. Since joining the Foreign Service in 2002, he has served in Jordan, India, Togo, the Philippines, as well as several Washington-based positions. And in September, he will become the Consul General in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Colonel Kent W. Park is a 1999 graduate of the United States Military Academy. He has served in a variety of command and staff positions in Korea and also in Iraq. Colonel Park attended the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and earned a master's degree in public policy there before returning to the U.S. Military Academy to teach American politics in the Department of Social Sciences. And we are delighted to have the three of you with us today. Welcome, uh, Giovanni Corrado, Ian Hopper, and Kent Park. Thank you, Ron. Morning, Ron. Thank you, Ron. So let's start with a, with a basic question. Uh, what made you decide to make a game? Well, I'll start with that. Um, during our year with the Carlisle Scholars Program, we ex- examined uh, historical case studies to learn about how some, some of these uh, strategies were formulated and, and implemented. And, and a lot of times at the end of the day, we would be walking home and, and, and we would 
shake our heads and wonder what were they thinking, right? So some of these like decisions, some of the bad decisions that were being made. Um, and, and these are really smart people. These are some people that we actually know. And, and how is it that they made such um, decisions? Was it because they didn't understand some of the, the basic understanding of, the, of, of strategy like ends, ways, and means? And, and really the answer is, is, is no. And this is where our faculty instructor, Dr. Tino Perez, would, would pound the desk and emphasize in classroom that strategy is performance. In other words, he, he emphasizes that strategy, strategy is not merely an academic discipline that you study. It requires one to actually do something within the complex and, and messy realities of a, of a real world. And this is why it's relatively easy to develop a, a wonderful, comprehensive, coherent strategy in a sterile, isolated classroom, but uh, it becomes very difficult and very different environment out in the real world. And so this reminded me actually, as, as I was teaching at, at West Point, uh, we did the, something called Congressional Simulation Exercise. And, and as we were teaching American politics, what, one of the things I noticed with the, with the questions that the cadets were asking is that, you know, they, they really had just a schoolhouse rock superficial understanding of how American politics actually works. Um, they didn't really understand the complexity and, and, and how difficult it is sometimes. And this can be problematic for future military officers. So we, we wanted to bring out some experiential learning to the classroom. Um, so that, that's really where it started. And, and we used the basic principles that we learned from running these multiple iterations with the cadets at West Point through the congressional simulation exercise. And, and we applied it to the strategy simulation exercise that we developed. That's great. And and had any of you, any of the three of you, had any experience in game development? So, Kent, if you use them in, in, your, in your classes at West Point, that's one thing. But had any of you had any experience in developing a game from scratch before? No, in my case, no. <laughs> so for me, the motivation for uh, joining uh, Kent and Ian in this uh, research, I would say, uh, was exactly that. So I didn't have any kind of experience. So I want to challenge myself and trying something new. At the end, it was a very exciting experience. I have had some uh, development experience. Um, I'm an avid gamer, but also uh, in in consular affairs, which is my specialty in the State Department, um, a lot of our work is dedicated to helping American citizens overseas. So just like uh, the DOD does wargaming, we do crisis development, crisis planning. And that involves a lot of simulation exercises too. So we would develop these simulation exercises to simulate, say, a natural disaster or a terrorist attack um, to try to prepare our officers for the kind of, uh, the kind of um, obstacles that they may face in uh, in that, whether that's bureaucratic obstacles or um, or uh, personal emotional things that they have to go through to try to prepare them as much as you can for uh, what could be a very traumatic experience. So uh, I've developed a number of different simulations and games to do that. Um, so we wanted to try to balance this 
this effort to be curriculum based. We wanted people to learn, but also we wanted people to have fun. So we it was a constant tension during our game development process of between, well, we have to get these concepts in, we have to teach them about this, but we also need to keep them engaged. And it needs to make sense in a gamified environment. You see, and I, I like the way you put that, because of course, you know, people have been trying to teach people stuff for a long time. But the the idea of using games and simulations that require the sort of iteration between students and instructors, but also among students themselves, uh, is 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 clearly a growing field. We've had a few, several podcasts um, on various aspects of gaming here. So, uh, for our audience, um, can you give us the thumbnail description of what gameplay is like? Um, first of all, do, does your game have a name? So it's not it's not Squad Leader or uh, <laughs> um, you know, to, for uh, people my age and older will know exactly what I'm referring to when I say that it's, it's not risk. Um, what's what, what's the name of the game and, and how do you play it? Right. There's there's no counters and you won't be uh, you won't be trying to seize Kamchatka um, or if you or if you do, if you do, you've you've definitely gone off the rails as far as your intent. That, that was not our intent. Might be fun, though. Kamchatka um, is a dagger pointed at the heart of Sakhalin <laughs> Island. Come on. Oh, right. Just just hide in Australia. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got some gamers here. Um so uh so no it is uh, we we call it a strategy strategy simulation exercise um it's it's got kind of a bland name because uh we we talked early on and this is another you know gamer reference we talked all early on about the concept of dungeons and dragons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i'm i don't want to out anybody but there are a number of us amongst <laughs> our group not a hundred percent but a number of us who have some experience with dungeons and dragons um and if you've played it or if you're or at least you know vaguely familiar with it you know that um there are a set of rules there are concepts in dungeon dragons that are universal um whether that's the way you do combat or the way you explore or the way you carry things or different classes of people or all of that and then there are adventures or campaigns that you can tack on to that so we intentionally made this game such that uh, we have a set of core rules, core concepts, and that's the phases that you go through um, as you're trying to develop policy. But you can mix and match different uh, scenarios. So our our scenario that we developed that uh, that comes with the game uh, for free um, is a uh, a Taiwan simulation. So we have three main actor groups. Uh, China, Taiwan, and the United States. And the scenario is very, very brief. It's just that um, a new government in Taiwan has been elected with a platform of declaring an independence or having an independence referendum. So that referendum hasn't happened yet. It hasn't been scheduled yet, but that election has taken place and that expectation is there. Um, so the the interesting part of our game, though, is that you don't you do play within your actor groups, within your countries, um, but really you're playing as individuals. So we give each each of them bios of who they are. So uh, in the standard game, there's four uh, four per actor group. So you may be the Minister of Defense or the Minister of Trade or some sort of cabinet or quasi-cabinet official within your country. There is no executive. You are not the president or the chairman. And we intentionally did that um, because we thought that, again, game-wise, it would be uh, there would be all kinds of dynamics that could take place if one person could simply overrule the others, even though we did talk about, well, if you defy the executive, you might find a window, then fall out of it. Um, 
or or get impeached or whatever. But we ended up not going that route. And it's four different people who have uh, different bio- biographical backgrounds. We've got whole written biographies of them um, and diff- very different views on the crisis at hand. Some of them are more hawkish, some of them are more dovish, but they all have reasons why they are who they are. And they have what they would prefer as their uh, crisis and regional goals for this for this crisis. Um, and then during the process of it, they, uh, they internalize their own identification, and then they get to the country level and they have to develop what the country's uh, policy is going to be. And then they go to ally negotiations. So U.S. and Taiwan have to negotiate. We bring the U.N. in there. So they have an opportunity to get uh, a U.N. Security Council or a U.N. General Assembly mandate for whatever their policy is. And then finally, they uh, they um, free negotiate among, among all the actors. Um, and then at the end, you are... Um, graded, you are scored by what the final outcomes are vis-a-vis your own personal ends. So there are people who uh, are going to have to do the right thing for their country, but might, quote unquote, lose. And then there are others who, you know, the the ends probably turned into war, um, but they did what they wanted to do for their constituents. So it was very intentional to try to uh, show how policy is made at many different levels, bureaucratic levels, sub-bureaucratic levels, um, alliance levels, and finally show how policy can be developed in such a way that maybe it's not the most ideal or the most um, uh, beneficial as a country, but this is the messy sausage-making way it actually happens. So it really does match reality in that way. And and am I correct then, listening to your description of the gameplay, that obviously there's no no 20-sided dice so I have to make no. a reference now, which no, is alas. I mean, I guess everybody can get one of their own if they just want to have <laughs> one. But there's um, and and so are we talking about turns? Um, are we talking about uh, sort of periods where and then yes. with, with with free negotiation periods in between, and then we come together and we see sort of the result of those negotiations? Yes, there we call them phases, phases. Um, okay. and they are timed mm-hmm. uh, in that you Ooh. can do certain things at certain phases. Uh, timing has been a big issue in our betas. People, some people like it, some people really do not. Um, and then there are currency that people can use, what we call political capital, which is basically the um, uh, the effort that a country has in order to um, pressure another country or another individual to do something. So, for example. Um, saying that you will do military exercises in another country may be positive or negative political capital, maybe a, a positive or negative impetus to change one's policy, or Taiwan putting a microprocessor plant in Kansas. So we, even though we have these uh, political capital points, and they are just points, we do make sure that, uh, that the players put a name to it. You know, they, we try to make it realistic, like, and they can make up whatever they want. But the the idea is, you are actually doing something in order to uh, bring that pressure. And at, and at the end, at the end, do we count up the points? How do we, we absolutely do. We absolutely do. Okay, yeah. And uh, so I was trying to do the math in my head. How many players are we talking about total? Ideally, 12, 12 although 12. we've we've scaled it down several times and there are ways uh, we put the instructor's notes to scale it up as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, good. Uh, Kent, you look like you want to say something. Go ahead. Man. One thing I wanted to add about the simulation is, it, it, as you know, it, it is a simulation because it is not reality. So our focus for the simulation is the actor interaction, the negotiation aspect of it. So 
we had to uh, purposefully simplify the actual strategy. So it's not about coming up with a detailed and very uh, quote unquote good strategy. It's about having three strategy options that you uh, prefer uh, out of those options and then negotiating, trying to figure out what the other actors prefer, which options that they are trying to advocate for, trying to understand why, and then figuring out how to gain alliances or other people to join your uh, what you are advocating um, and having that interaction amongst themselves. That is the key part that we wanted to emphasize with this exercise. Right. Okay, great. Joe, please. We, uh, during the development of the game, we also focused on the effort that the instructor had to put into organizing and running the exercise. Uh, we started with a package of some 25 pages for each player. And after several refinements, we ended up with only four pages. So from an organizational standpoint, the simulation exercise can be set up in a very short period that requires only a little preparation with an explanatory briefing that the students read at home the day before the exercise. Mm. That was going to be my next question is how much homework is required to set this up before you do it. So you could theoretically uh, divide people up the day before, hand them their information and then gather the next day uh, in your groups and start it. What's the, um, I know you, you talked about that there's timing. Um, how long is the game expect uh, designed to take? Yeah, so this is this has been an issue with some of our betas because we've done different time frames. Right. I think what we've determined is that um, you can certainly expand it out as long as you'd like, and the longer you expand out the times and the gaps between the phases, um, it allows for a a higher nuance of negotiation. Um, so, uh, in an ideal world, we would say five to six hours. So, a, a school day, perhaps. Um, if it's shorter than that, then we would encourage uh, educators to break it up over several days. We did do a number of simulations that were on the on the four hour or less range, and we really had to uh, accelerate some of the phases such that it, it was nearly impossible to try to even though it's not required to try to um, accomplish something during a particular phase. Um, and that led to some frustration uh, on uh, on this, the students' parts as well as the facilitators' parts. Um, so like Giovanni said, we, we really wanted to make this as plug-and-play as easy as possible for both the instructors and the students. Mm-hmm. And, and who, have your, who have your betas been? With whom have you played this game so far? So we play uh, this game within our seminar. Mm-hmm. That was our first beta. And then we played also with the students of the elective of Wargaming for uh, Strategic Leaders. So these are the two betas that uh, mm-hmm. we have run so far. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they were very, very useful uh, in uh, refining uh, all the rules and uh, streamlining uh, the process because, as Ian said, we want the game, the simulation exercise to be as smooth as possible. Right. And and so I'm guessing, uh, so the uh, Carlisle Scholar Seminar, that's what, 16 of you. And so the three of you doing the management, so that means you had a group of about 13. How many people were in the elective on um, strategic gaming, gaming for strategic leaders? 
So there were five uh, in that seminar, but they added another person in. Okay. Uh, so we had six. So it was two players per actor group, which is um, uh, is challenging to right. do. But I think it, it provided good lessons for us that it is possible to do. It certainly works. Um, but uh, but ideally, you want more players. Right. Kent? Yeah, I, I think it's important to highlight that we, we're not quite done. Uh, we have the actual prototype. Uh, we wish we had more time to conduct more beta tests and refine. Again, from the previous experience, one of the things that I learned is every iteration that you learn, you receive feedback and you're able to refine the process. So if I think back to the first sort of the congressional simulation exercise and the, and the final one that we got to, um, there, were, there were a lot of changes that we made. And, and so the hope or, or what the expectation uh, in the future is that there will be a couple more iterations that are run through, whether it's the Carlisle Scholars Program or other seminars within the Army War College, and the and the process and the and this game itself gets refined further. Roger. Well, and related to that, uh, could you imagine scaling it bigger? Because this, what I'm trying to think, is a, you know a, a War College seminar is about 15, 16 people, a college class might be 30 people, right? Or or you might be looking at I don't know. 50 people. I mean, how, how big could you imagine this getting and still being able to be done? Or if you get to larger groups, would you, would you, would you tell somebody who had a larger classroom? Well, you know, break the classroom into different games and subdivide that way, which would, which, what do you think right now? I, I think we can go, I think we can go very large. Um, again, just, just from the previous one that we did, we had hundreds of cadets. We had basically thought, yeah. the Senate and the Congress. We had the, the superintendent uh, or the dean actually play the president coming in and, and addressing the joint Congress. Something similar could absolutely happen within the Army War College. The, the different seminars themselves could be actor groups representing different countries. Uh, there could be any uh, different types of uh, uh, cross-boundary issues that, that we are facing globally, uh, whether it is a uh, related to the the global climate change or some kind of natural disaster, another pandemic, things that we can develop that would involve a very large group of uh, um, players playing different roles. Another thing we talked about is, uh, you know, we have right now the players in a room uh, or in a couple rooms, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you had a much larger group, it would be very easy to put this uh, online, use blogs through, uh, use uh, uh, websites to post the information and and really have fun with it, really use, because we have a, a scenario um option that happens a lot where people have to give press uh, press statements Ooh, okay. and they can be as as steak or bombastic as they would like um, they can and they don't have to be truthful they right. don't have to really say what it is uh, that their policy objectives are so they could put those online they could tweet if they wanted to um, and it doesn't it could be asynchronous right uh, so you could post them whenever you'd like so it really does allow for that flexibility of doing it with the whole 300 plus uh, academic class. Sure. Although I, I of course, am, am shocked, shocked at the, the idea that any major power would make policy through tweets. Um, you know, ima uh, imagine, imagine yeah. living in such a world. Anyway. You're gonna, you're gonna get crickets from the State Department on that one. <laughs> That's fair, uh, Giovanni. Please, you wanted to say something too. So for us, uh, during these two months, the most important objective was to understand and. Uh, uh, 
define specific mechanics in the game that incentivize specific behaviors or prevent some specific behaviors. So once those mechanics are clear and they are clear right now, you can scale the project up and down as you prefer. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, I, I am uh, you know, talking about talking about games. I mean, there are a lot of human activities that are more fun to actually do than to talk about. So I, you know, but I'm glad we were able to get a sense of the gameplay, but I wanted to move, uh, shift the discussion just a little bit and ask how the three of you felt this, uh, the game development, how it fit in with your experience in Carlisle Scholars, right? We, uh, people who from, from outside the War College may or may not know that uh, our students generally are divided into 16-person uh, seminars. Carlisle Scholars is a seminar whose curriculum is structured slightly differently from the other seminars, involves this extra research component. But uh, how did uh, first of all, what led you to the Carlisle Scholars Program? And second of all, in the Carlisle Scholars Program, how did developing this game become the thing that you chose to do? And I'll, I'll take you in. Uh, we'll go reverse alphabetical order. So we'll start with you, Kent. <laughs> all right. So I, I actually did not know a whole lot about the Carlisle Scholars Program. I just received an email uh, from Tino uh, with some description about it. And, and I, I was intrigued. Um, just based on my previous uh, military education program, PMEs, uh, I did want something a little bit more challenging. So I interviewed with them and um, and I got selected. Uh, in terms of the actual Carlisle Scholars Program, you mentioned earlier about the different types of pedagogical uh, development that have been happening recently. So going all the way back to the Socratic method to the, the classic Bloom's taxonomy of learning. Um, in Carlisle Scholars Program, I, I think they are pushing in towards what's currently known or what, what they're saying about high impact practices or high impact teaching uh, that, uh, that people have been researching. And, and it has different principles, best, best practices in terms of how you get into uh, teaching information that will be lasting. And, and I really believe that they are uh, really getting after high performance expectations, extended periods where students are engaged. Um, experiential learning, uh, we have these series of two days of going through, as mentioned earlier, studying case studies and then in small groups, really doing a deep dive into what actually happened, what were they trying to do, um, and, and having that type of learning experience was, was fantastic. And then after that classroom learning that we did for the first semester, during the second semester, we take all that information and now we're actually practice, practicing it. So we go out and, and get a client. Uh, as Just as an example, I've been working with the Selective Service System, so the actual director of the Selective Service Agency to uh, talk about modernizing the conscription, the draft, and some of the, the, the ways in which they are still relevant in the current strategic environment. Uh, and again, it, being able to bring all the things that I learned from the previous classroom learning into actual practice has really solidified and made things concrete in terms of uh, the, the concepts and theories uh, that, that I learned previously. That's great. Thanks, Kent. Ian, how about you? And also, um, while I'm while I have you here, as they as the saying goes, um, what's it like being a foreign service officer at the U.S. Army War College? It's great. 
um, okay. Thanks, yeah, everybody. So, <laughs> thanks for this conversation. Thank you, Ian. Happy uh, keep it keep it brief. Um, no, I, I so I, I I guess that dovetails into what I was actually going to say about the Carlisle Scholars Program, and I think that one of the things, other than the um, the freedom of time and focus that we had to really dive into both during the curriculum and then outside of the the traditional curriculum to focus on the kind of issues that motivated us. Like Kent was talking about the selective service system. Um, and we, we talked about recruitment issues so much <laughs> over the past year because it really was um, uh, all encompassing and, and interesting to all of us in our in our various uh, uh, agencies. Um, but not only am I, you know, a foreign service officer, but I was the only civilian in uh, in our seminar. I wonder. And yeah, and I have to say, other than the uh, the fact of having to learn or try to learn a whole nother set of acronyms. Um, many of which are actually the same as our acronyms, but stand for something different, which is awesome. Um, but people were great about sitting next to me and going, no, that, that's, that doesn't mean that. That's a different, different letters. Um, they were really welcoming to ideas uh, that came out, but also to hearing my impressions of DOD. I've worked with DOD quite a bit um, over my over my career. Um, not all of us do. We all have varied uh, experiences with it, but um, they were very self-critical um, and self-analyzing. And I think we all have been that, not just with our agencies, but with US policy in general um, and with the pedagogical method that we used. We, um, and, and uh, our instructors would uh, attest to this maybe fondly, we changed a lot of the curriculum on the fly of what we were studying um, because we had an interest in something else. And they were so great to uh, to adapt that for us uh, and allow us to uh, to study that and also teach each other what we came in with. We, we have such an interesting and diverse background of operational and policy experience and different domains, different geographical regions. Um, uh, it was really like a "We Are the World" concert in there. The, yeah, another old reference for everybody. Um, Kids ask your that, parents. I know, <laughs> um, but it, it really was great uh, and, and diverse to be able to have that. Um, and uh, and yeah, I felt I felt welcome. Uh, and uh, and I would definitely encourage any other State Department official, hint hint, to both attend the Army War College and specifically the Carlisle Scholars Program. That's 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 very good, and and, and I've, I've, I'm I'm delighted to hear that. I'm also always curious, right? As a as a uh, civilian academic who's only been at the War College now for four years, right? I'm still learning the acronyms too. I I do have the advantage that I didn't learn a whole bunch of other acronyms that I now have to you know reconfigure. But while we're on the, while we're on the subject of language and the and the idea of being, and we are the world, Giovanni, um, an Italian officer in the AO at the US Army War College, right? That we bring we bring international fellows, of course, uh, every year. Um, but what was it like for you in Carlisle Scholars, and why did you choose Carlisle Scholars? Well, it was a great experience for me. Uh, I had previous educational experience in the states in the U.S. military. I attended CGSC and SAMS, so this was the further step, I would say, in my in my education. So the experience was great. Such as Ian, I felt very, very welcome uh, among the scholars here at the, at the World College. And I knew very little about the scholars program itself. I knew only two things. The first one was that it was challenging. And the second one was it was 
research heavy as a program. So when I knew those two things, I said that that's my place. That's where I want to go. And I applied for that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And as, as an intelligence officer, right, you know, reading a lot of stuff, this is, this, this, this does not scare you, right? You know, you do this, no, you do this no, all no. the time, right? Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure to have all three of you here. We could, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in carrying on these conversations, but I think we're just about out of time for today. Uh, we're going to try to put some information about, about you and, and about the game in the show notes if we can. But for now, thanks so much for coming on A Better Piece to talk about your project and your experience here. Thanks, Ian Hopper. Thanks, Kent Park. Thanks, uh, Giovanni Corrado, uh, for being here on A Better Piece. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. And thanks all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs. Send us your suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. Please take a moment to subscribe to A Better Piece because you should want to subscribe to A Better Piece on your podcatcher of choice. And after you have done so, please take a moment again and rate and review this podcast because rating and reviewing is how other people can find out about it so that we can continue to grow the, the community for conversations like this one. And even though this conversation is over, we hope to welcome you to the next one. And so until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.